pretty much they are troublesome knowledge within your curriculum area where students really grapple with. And so you um, create a threshold concept that the students um, are, they have three stages they go through. So um, they'll be in a passive stage where they're kind of just understanding the different theories and I guess the content of it. And then they go into um, the performative stage where they start to apply it to different things. And then the proactive stage is when they then transfer that knowledge into different contexts and different realms. So um, an example Anne Mackay gave us was um, anyone can lead um, as the threshold concept. Now within that there's heaps of troublesome knowledge for students um, thinking about anyone can lead. They, do they think of themselves as a leader to start off with? Is leader just the loudest person in the room? You're listening to the Augmented Learning Podcast and Video Log. Stories from inspiring educators, leaders, and influencers who are challenging the status quo. Today's episode is sponsored by My Study Series, an online learning platform supporting Kiwi teachers and students through NCEA. With the ability to track student progress and quiz results, data provided by My Study Series ensures teachers remain informed of how well their students are performing. Check it out now at mystudyseries.co.nz. Kia ora everyone and welcome to episode 68 of the Augmented Learning Podcast and Video Log where you're able to grow, learn and develop by accessing high quality PLD when you need it most. I'm your host Carl Condoliff and once again I'm joined by my co-host Celia Fleck. Celia, what did you think about the All Blacks game yesterday? I know you were there, I was there as well, what did you think? Well, it certainly was a spectacle and you know, 10 minutes of kind of bonus time, you know, as a as a spectator that was pretty cool. I don't know. I think that last, the last sort of 15 or so minutes was particularly exciting from a crowd point of view. Yeah. Crowd point, you could hardly say crowd point of view when you're sitting up in a flash box, oh, can you? No, you no, like, no. Like, no. like us peasants down in the, in the cheap seats. <laughs> how, how was that? What was all that about? No, it wasn't a box. It was a lounge and there were lots of very enthusiastic, passionate people in the lounge. We had the windows open, so it was full noise. And we stayed dry. <laughs> yeah, I don't, we didn't get too wet, a little bit wet, but, but it wasn't too bad. Hey, so this week on the podcast, we've got Amy Coco from uh, Rotatuna um, Senior High School. And she is one of the newest board members um, on the Physical Education New Zealand board. And I recently spent a weekend with her doing some strategic planning. And um, I have to say, she's a pretty exceptional educator or physical educator, um, a, lot, a lot of good value and lots to offer. Um, this chat with her was, uh, you know, if you're not, and I think you mentioned this beforehand, if you're not really familiar with this uh, real innovative approach, integrated approach, the episode might be a little challenging to listen to. I found it challenging and I'm reasonably familiar um, trying to unpack some of what she was saying. What did you think of the episode? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And, and as I said to you earlier, I think because I've done a lot of work with um, teachers at Hobsonville, Hobsonville Point Secondary School and also uh, Rotatuna. So I kind of am quite familiar with the model. So I really just enjoyed listening to um, a different voice speak about it. But I guess like it just really excites me that they are constantly um, kind of iterating their approach. It's just never kind of prepared to settle on something it's always okay how could we do this better and what have we learned and in particular this year what have we learned from COVID so what might that mean you know in terms of how we might improve things so I just I just love that about um, what I've observed of both those high schools in terms of their approach to timetabling and um, and how they structure their curriculum so yeah it was really cool to listen to. 
Yeah, that's perfect. And, you know, this, this whole idea of iteration and changing things up and learning, it, it's very similar to, um, uh, it's a business approach where you have a minimum viable product. So you just get something out there and then you learn and reflect on it and you iterate and you keep changing. And I think of even in education, which um, has slightly more risk because you're, you're involving other people's education. But if you sit there and wait until you've got the perfect unit plan or the perfect uh pedagogical approach to um, whatever you're trying to achieve in your school, you're just never going to put that out there. So I like the idea of um, getting something in place, uh, whether it's complete or not, um, covering your bases and going out there and learning from it. And it sounds like they're doing a lot of that chopping and changing, reflecting, um, whereas in maybe a more traditional school, people are probably a little bit more hesitant to put themselves out like that and, and there's fear of failure and all those sorts of things. In, in your time running sport and education, did you see a lot of this whole iteration approach? So do something, find out whether it worked or not, and then refresh it, rehash it, and, and keep learning from that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, I think when you're starting small, like many were in sport and education, um, you know that that's quite that's quite manageable and it and it feels quite safe if you've got the right environment to do that when you're doing it on a whole school scale that just like is a whole nother level right so that just kind of blows my mind a little bit how they how they create all those timetabling all those teacher pairings and all that it still blows my mind i'd love to be in a school like that and to experience it all yeah, and you know, with your involvement in sport and education, there, you know, NZCER did do that work around those critical success factors, and and those are some of the key things that school practices are changed to align with those outcomes that you want. And when you can do that, you know, and you invest in in some of that, uh, you know, timetable changes and um, all those structures that allow you to consolidate the approach, you you can do, um, you can really do some amazing things. I I really liked hearing about the threshold concepts and I'd done a little bit of work on them in the past so I've kind of had an idea about what they were but hadn't actually gone as far as as seeing them or hearing about how they might be implemented in um, in a classroom have you seen any other schools I know you've you've heard um, a few people speak on them but have you heard of other schools using threshold concepts in a, in a similar way no, I haven't. I've I've done a bit of work with Anne Mackay on them, and she ran a workshop for the sport and education schools. It started last year, I think it must have been, and it would have been great to kind of do some more follow up, and we just didn't get the opportunities. But it did just kind of blow people's minds. But I'm actually not aware of any other schools that are really kind of delving into that. Mm -hmm. Well, I think of. Um, after this, I think after this episode, there might be um, some schools, some schools who are really pushing the boundaries or, or pushing the limits of, of what they're doing with their curriculum and kids um, that might find uh, these threshold concepts um, might have a lot of application with what they're doing. So uh, I think it's a great episode. I think Amy's fantastic. And if you don't follow her on Twitter, do so. Um, she does a lot of work with the Waikato cluster. Um, and she's just a, a really good educator. So let's jump into episode 68 with Amy Coco. All right, Amy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Hey, before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about your teaching background and experience and a few tidbits about your school and the students you teach? Um, yep, so I've been teaching for about 14 plus years, um, was in Auckland for about eight, eight years um, at Howitt College and then flicked over to um, London, did my big OE and I was at a private girls school over there, head of um, netball, so that was quite a real interesting experience in terms of um, PE in terms of learning how they kind of deliver their curriculum because it was quite different um, and then came back over um, me and my husband got married and now I'm in the Waikato um, I was at um, Southall private um, primary school head of sport and PE there for a couple of years and then um, an opportunity came up at um, Rotatuna Senior High um, which couldn't really turn down so that's where I'm at at the moment 
and um yeah loving it we're really flipping everything on its head but um it's it's real pushing me out of that comfort zone of my teaching i'd say that's that's good and i think we're going to unpack uh, a lot more of that as as the episode goes on uh teaching over in the uk what what was the biggest difference do you think comparing um the uk curriculum or teaching p in the uk compared to teaching in new zealand yeah, it was very drills based um, teaching, um, very sport heavy content. The, the, I mean, definitely at the the private girls scores at the girls only got real limited choice um, of what sports they did as what we did in the PE curriculum. So, for example, um, we had a head of gymnastics. So we all did gymnastics, lacrosse and netball were our main winter sports. Um, and then there was athletics rounders, which is a fun game, <laughs> and tennis. So, um, yeah, so it was limited choice, um, but very, you know, very like, this is the drill, this is how you do it, talk the students through. So I found it quite different. Um, often got told off for going off the lesson plan <laughs> to try and make oh, it a bit more. Horrible. <laughs> yeah. Try and make it a little more game sense, fun, you know, letting the students kind of think. For themselves a bit but yeah it definitely they must have loved you they must the kids must have loved you and when you went off track like that they would have enjoyed that eh? yeah th yeah they did they did they really enjoyed it and i think what um started to kind of ring some bells is that i still had the i still had the um engagement with the kids so we could have fun but then they would still listen in the game whereas you know the very sergeant major on the command you listen to what i say i think some of the teachers started kind of watching my approach like what's going on over here but it seems to be working yeah surprisingly so you're, you we were talking beforehand and talking about some of the things you're doing now that's like complete chalk and cheese to where you find yourself now um yeah i guess do yeah. you feel privileged being where you are now and with the innovation and and you know challenging the status quo as 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 you are yeah definitely i think um i'm just i'm very passionate about change and um and giving things a go and um at times it's not you know sometimes you want to fall on the traditional approach because it's comfy and nice but um i think i've learned to trust more in theories that have been said but also in the students that they'll actually get over the line you don't have to drag them through it that actually through the experiences they'll make their own connections so i think from all the experiences that i've had it's made me it's made me really notice what my values are and what I what I'm about in my teaching, because everyone obviously comes from different perspectives and there's time and place for that. But in my school, it works for me. So what are your values and what are your values and, and what is education about for you? Well, um, that, you know, physical education isn't sport um that we're with with that transferable skills like um you don't you can be a doctor and still do physical education you don't have to be just into sport to do pe and so opening up students kind of eyes to actually the transferable skills that we learn in physical education that are across skills like working with people you talk to ceos the biggest thing that they have are working with people understanding people you know um managing people within those workspaces and that's like our bread and butter of our curriculum so um really valuable in advocating for our curriculum area as those transferable skills but also in terms of education as a whole um giving the kids the keys to the to their learning let them drive their learning um and trusting and having that relationship with them and asking them questions and always reviewing and seeking and their understanding, um, I think, has been huge for me this year, especially when we went to COVID, had to ask question, questions all the time. Do you understand? Is this clear? You know, what could I do better? And it kind of like, why wasn't I doing this all the time? <laughs> why have I just started doing this this now? So, yeah, I think for me, those have been the pivotal things this year. You, you mentioned giving kids the keys to their learning and having them drive that for that to happen uh there's that real um vulnerable position the teacher needs to be in to just kind of let go and 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 um, hand over that power in the classroom well, what do you think the biggest 
uh, challenge to a teacher who's you know considering this having having to be more vulnerable and, and let go and and not be the holder of all knowledge what do you think the biggest challenge there is for those teachers I think um, depending on how experienced you are as a teacher is huge I think um, beginning teachers often um, when they're unsure about the standard they're teaching or or how they're going to package that for different learnings can be a bit of a barrier so um, knowing your curriculum document <laughs> is massive um, and also when you're like looking towards more standards approach knowing the assessment inside out so that it's not um, driving the learning that you can see opportunities to, for, to assess along the way um, you know not just teaching to the assessment that it that it happens but you it happens when the student's ready not when at the end of the term when you say it's ready um has been has been a big shift in my learning so and also yeah like i'm understanding that kids these days they can access content anywhere like we have we use schoology as our platform and i spent hours checking out powerpoints and video clips you know i was teaching um, skill learning and I was checking out all these resources and then I was watching some of them while they were working through a, um, a flip learning task and they were just googling you know projectile motion like I didn't even need to do that like some kids used it but others were just you know they can google things um, so providing opportunities for students just in small small chunks you don't have to go completely flipped but just giving them little application tasks where they go and access the information themselves and then when they come to your lesson, then you then you show the, how you apply it in the setting that you may have chosen. Um, and then how I set it up. So I set it up like a blended approach. So students may might watch a video or something on projectile motion before the lesson, and then they'll come to me. And then we did a thing with water balloons, and they had to do different angles of and heights of release and things like that. Um, so they came and applied it and then they had to go back and reflect on it afterwards in their own context that they wanted to apply. So some kids were into basketball, so they applied projectile to basketball. Um, others were doing volleyball and things like that. So I think it's important that you can choose the context for the application, but then letting them go and apply it in their own context is going to be, um, I think, gets that engagement definitely. Yeah. Lots of cool things there, and and you're talking about them accessing the content and finding their the, the content that they need and they want, and you know there's not there's not a, a skill a skill in the world that I am the world's most you know authority on on anything you know there's always going to be somebody that's better than me that can teach it better than me, um, so I need to be prepared to let my kids find um, find some of that content themselves and also from people who they relate better to um, and you know and that, that means our job in the classroom becomes a, a, more about building those connections and forming those really rich strong relationships with those kids so that you can create those environments for them to go off and apply those concepts where you can support them and and, and stuff like that so that's really cool you mentioned COVID um, real challenging year and it, it seems almost every episode these days I'm, I'm starting off with a COVID question which I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing but slightly different what was a moment of student resilience that stood out for you during lockdown? Student resilience um, I think I was quite fortunate that um, with COVID I was happened to be doing social responsibility um, which was just like perfect it just fell into my you know the lap of what we were doing so it was really interesting to see um, students some I mean some kids parents were working with essential workers and so they were at home um, having to look after their little brothers and sisters and things like that and so um, the activities I set up with were kind of being cognizant of kind of them able to use that to entertain their, their siblings that they've got at home or their parents so um we had little things where it was called COVID games and they had to create a game um and keep their family involved in physical activity and like they just did a little they just had to show a little video and send it to me when they'd done it and the videos I got back of the of the things that they'd created with their family in their home in their own setting was just was the most amazing things I've seen where I, I think if I'd done it in school um, I wouldn't have got half the engagement 
Um, and that's when light bulbs kind of started to go off for me was there were students who I thought weren't engaged because um, they're not listening to my every word in class, but actually what is engagement? What does engagement look like now? It's, it's very different. Um, and there were students who I, probably if they'd been um, in front of me in class, I wouldn't have given them a very good grade, but they were getting excellence grades um, at home in their environment, doing it their own way. And the resilience, I guess, for them was kind of turning it into a positive and making it their own sure. um, and letting them being able to do that was important. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think so. So you're uh, Rotatuna, we, you know, really innovative school that challenges the traditional model of teaching, I guess. Um, I'm really interested in breaking down the, the student and teacher experience. And we've had Dan popping on the on the podcast last year and we we heard a little bit about some of that integrated approach, but I'm really keen for you to walk us through your curriculum model and, and looking at those three connected elements that you have there. Yeah, so um, when Dan was on, we had we have we had modules, which was um, two teachers um, delivering an integrated curriculum. Um, so it might have been, for example, science and PE. Um, and then we have projects where you're connecting with the community and it's more focused on students um, overcoming a problem in the community and working together towards a, to solving that problem. And then we have our advisory curriculum, which is um, whānau based and it's working alongside so students. So you've got about 14 students in your advisory crew, um, which, are, which would have been in a formal traditional setting known as your tutor group, but actually um, instead of just doing the role and the the notices and trying to do some little fucker for knowing a tongue of games, you're actually given a whole ninety uh, two ninety minute blocks um, a week to designing um, activities based on the strands of their curriculum, um, which are pathways focused, um, relationships, um, goal setting, and um, manakitanga. Um, is another one. So um, that, those are, we value them all the same. Um, and so they all had equal time, but where we've shifted to um, after COVID is more of looking at more of an ecosystem and that um, not everything has the same amount of time, but they all have the same amount of value to, to the ecosystem. So our timetable has changed a lot next year and that um, whānau time is just gonna be in the mornings. Um, for I think it's 45 minutes and really focusing on building those um, relationships with students, real whānau time, um, mentoring one-on-one -on -one coaching. We've, we've all been upskilled in growth coaching with students. Um, so really putting the value back on that. We went too, too far into curriculum heavy life skills, content learning with advisory. Now we're stripping it back to more um, what the essence of it is and that's connecting between home, life and school and that goal setting. Um, and then we've got, we've called it, um, oh, what's the name of the new one? Uh, it's called a spring, um, but it is projects in a sense, but that's gonna be more connected with community. Um, and it used to be on a whole day, um, but now we've changed it to over a couple of days. Um, just because it's a long day <laughs> as a teacher facilitating project-based learning, um, especially if your project's not going the way you want it to be. So yeah, that one's been um, tweaked a little bit. And then our modules um, have, have changed in terms of we've created schools of learning. Um, so um, we've got about eight different schools of learning. So there's um, a hoarder, um, in health science school of learning, there's humanities, um, there's creatives, which is um, more that design um, lens, there's communications and design, so digital technology and performing arts, um, there's sustainability in the outdoors with business, um, and uh, I can't remember the other ones, but yeah, so there's about eight of them, but there's every subject available um, in those in those wananga ako um, and what what the kind of the idea is that students can learn um, about chili sauce if they're really passionate about chili sauce but 
they can do it in their context and learn about that, but they can still go off and be a doctor and do whatever they want. So the kids learn, choose their school of learning based on their passions and interests, um, not on subjects, because subjects can, can go into any context. Um, so we're really pushing that students pick what they're passionate about and then the learning experiences fall out of that. So we don't really know what we're teaching next year, to be honest. Um, it's real, we've really given the kids the keys to the learning in terms of they will, when they come back at the start of term one um, next year, they'll choose, um, they'll do a wheel based on connecting to themselves, um, connecting for understanding, connecting for knowledge and connecting to the community and what sort of passions ally in those um, theories of practice um, looking at connectedness um, and so based on those passions and interests then they'll choose their wānanga ako and they will write down kind of their passions and interests that they have in that wānanga ako and then we will be given um, x amount of students so for example I might be in the hawora and I'll have an X amount of students with all their passions and interests and then we as teachers so there'll be about there'll be three teachers in the navigation team and then the other subjects fall out of that we create a timetable built, built on the students context and so we might go oh this kid's really into sport and wants to learn about the body I might create a module which was our traditional funny calling it traditional now but that was our um our old approach but integrating it in saying right we might put a package available for the kids where they do biology and PE together um oh there's some kids really really wanting to um, learn about health health science so might do health and science together so we create some packages for the kids and then they then they will select what courses they want to be in um, before they leave at the end of the year so yeah it's a bit we are changing it and we're always creating um, new lesson plans like we don't have <laughs> we don't have a stockpile of assessments that we just roll over it's all being um, made as we go but um, the engagement with the students is 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 really rich and I think that's the most important part of what we're trying to achieve. I have been writing furiously, trying to make sense of, of it all. And yeah. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you, it makes no sense at all. Uh, I'm trying my yeah. hardest though. Um, yeah, I don't man, think it makes sense to us half the time. <laughs> so. No, but that's, that's great. And, yeah. I, and I, I loved what you were saying towards the end there about, um, you know, everything is, is different. We're always changing things. And that's the way it should be. And I think one of the biggest problems with education and with, uh, I, I want to say teachers, but I, I don't want to say teachers. I, I'm going to just say education is that you can get comfortable as, as an educator and you can keep rolling out the same stuff, yet the people you have in front of you are completely different every single year and those needs, and their needs are not going to be met if you're just rolling out the same stuff. So being um, agile and flexible and all of that with the curriculum and how you approach it is is a really um, good way to, to create engagement and, and really give the keys to the students like you're saying. So these, these schools of learning, um, I, you know, and I'm just going off stuff I've been trying to dig up about, about the school. Um, is this where these threshold concepts sit? Will, will they, are they still being used next year? Yeah, so um, threshold concepts, when we first started, we've come a long way with where we actually thought, what we thought they were. That we, we originally started off with threshold concepts being big ideas. So for example, in PE, we had relationships and we had perspectives. And so our big idea for the semester was looking at different perspectives. Um, and then happened to be on Twitter one evening and Kylie Thompson was tweeting out something about threshold concepts and um, Anna Marie, tagged me in it and then we connected up with um, Kylie and Amakai, they were um, AUT in Auckland and they came down and they just blew our minds to actually what threshold concepts are. So um, pretty much they are troublesome knowledge within your curriculum area where students really grapple with and so you um, create a threshold concept that the students um, are, they have three stages they go through so um, they'll be in a passive stage where they're kind of just understanding the different theories and 
I guess the content of it and then they go into um, the performative stage where they start to apply it to different things and then the proactive stage is when they then transfer that knowledge into different contexts and different realms so um, an example Anne Mackay gave us was um, anyone can lead um, as the threshold concept now within that there's heaps of troublesome knowledge for students um, thinking about anyone can lead they do they think of themselves as a leader to start off with is leader just the loudest person in the room um, you know and then you have different forms of leader leaders um, and so I've, I've taught that one it's really um, really I've really loved teaching it because when you get see the kids in the pit and you um, of we call it the learning pit and they're grappling through the passive stage of understanding it and then they start little light bulbs start to go off um, and then once they've understood it it's like going through a portal they can't unlearn that um, and so then they can take that knowledge and they can transform it so um, earlier I was talking about those transferable skills within PE imagine if we're creating um, physical educated students that understand anyone can lead what sort of um, leaders and or bosses are they going to be in the future if they can actually understand that concept um, and apply it into their business world or their um, the team that they're working in or whatever environment they go into so yeah we, we're using threshold concepts to teach the jewels of our curriculum um, we're not based purely on the, um, the NZC or standards um, when we first started our brainstorm, we kind of, without thinking about it, subconsciously started writing down all the troublesome knowledge from standards. Um, and then kind of went back and looked at the NZC, where are the gaps? And then we, as a team, um, most recently caught up with the junior high um, who work alongside us. So we've got a junior and a senior high right next door to each other. Two schools, one school kind of thing going on. Um, and we just unpacked what what do we value at our school because um, it could be it's very different to other schools and what they value what students they have what interests they have so at this school what do we value in health and physical education and we wrote that all down and then we decided what must we have and what may we have and then from there we've started to kind of narrow down our our threshold concepts um, for the next three years rolling out but yeah it's an exciting space I wouldn't say um, it's the easiest thing to understand I've been doing a lot of readings around threshold concepts like how do you actually teach them um, you know once you understand the theory of it how does what does that actually look like in teaching practice is probably the next step we're at um, at the school um, but yeah yeah I, th I think you know I've I've done a little bit of work on threshold concepts in the past the first I've heard the term troublesome knowledge which i think is that's a really good descriptor and you know i'm looking i'm just looking at some of the, the threshold concepts that are, are listed on your website and it's sport is socially constructed anyone can lead um pe and health knowledge and skills are transferable mental health is an everyday activity well-being is holistic and those are really really powerful threshold concepts and, and my understanding of threshold concepts in the work i've done previously was that once those um, concepts become understood by the student they're real transformative for them it, it, it's like a, a, a mind shift almost changing what they know and, and how they perceive things and then that concept becomes irreversible and it helps them build all of these different connections that they didn't see previously and um, finding a way to leverage these within a curriculum within education is I think that's really really huge and it's like if you think of a more traditional um, a more traditional approach that most of us probably teach and it's it's kind of like seeing that kid really um, click onto something and get something that's kind of opened up a whole new world for them it's like that but you guys are doing this like seemingly on on a, on a daily basis working through these concepts with these kids learning how to teach them these things and these approaches um, and and having them grapple with that troublesome knowledge i think that's i think it's really cool and fascinating i, I think a whole lot of people listening right now um are still going to be confused by everything um but they're going to be blown away by um by this approach that that you're having it really is fascinating um the the projects how how do they you're yeah. saying you having a couple of days to do these what what is the build-up to that 
them going out and doing these um, project-based learning in, in the community? Um, so uh, traditionally it would be um, posted by like a, a teacher would put out a passion that they have and then kids would elect into that. And then from there they would look at, um, they would go through a model for projects looking at what kind of are the needs, they look at empathy, they look at empathy, they look at the case holders, what needs to be changed, and then they start to de design design ways of solving the problems. Um, for example, what's a really good one that's going on at the moment? Um, oh, the, the face masks for COVID. Um, there's one module just making uh, making a whole heap of face masks for um, essential workers in the community. Um, and so they've, you know, they've talked to people, they've got different ways of what they look like and things like that. And then they connect with an authentic partner in the community, talk to them, what are their needs, and then they work alongside each other um, to help solve the problem. Um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say they all work fantastically. It, it, it has been hard at times to engage those students into it. But I think that was because we were setting, um, the, the, the teachers were setting the passion project. Um, so we're moving towards more students, student agency, then coming up with their passions and interests in, in a project and connecting from there because you need that buying, you need that passion to start off with. Otherwise, it's really hard to to drive project-based learning, yeah. especially when students, there's no credits involved, so they don't get credits for it. Um, so, you know, shifting away from that. Is it just a big block of learning where, okay, this period of learning is just project-based or is yeah. it does it slot into the curriculum at different times? Into the timetable, sorry. So, yeah, so it used to be on a day, now it's slotted in at different times, but um, what what we value is, is learning, not um, credits, credit counting and things like that. So we do level two over two years, which allows more time within our curriculum to actually focus on connecting with the community, that community service and giving back is huge for students to be involved in. And we want kids to be community minded. So actually allowing space within our timetable for that to happen um, is huge. Um, I'm still like, I'm so jealous listening to you speak about all of these things. It's. Uh, I'm in a traditional, well, not a, uh, it's more of a traditional school, um, but, you know, we, we are trying to do things that um, are different for us. Um, but I started teaching at Wellington High School, which was is quite a liberal, non-uniform, late start school. Uh, and that really got me passionate about change and doing things differently and challenging the status quo and like some of the stuff you were talking about at the very start of the, the episode um kind of your um your identity within education and, and things like that um but now moving to a more traditional and we do some really cool things but um i i sit and look over the fence at all these other schools doing these amazing things and I'm, i do get quite jealous so um big ups to you and, and and the team that you have there and the leaders that you have there who um you know, have really put themselves out there to um, challenge what education can look like. I think it's so cool. Yeah, and I think the biggest, I think the biggest thing for our school, and, and just touching on that, um, is I, I, it hasn't been easy. Like, you know, it's easy to look over the fence and, and say that, but like, you're still having to get buy-in from students. You're still having to get buy-in from your community. Um, about these these kind of I guess radical changes that we are making. Um, so it, it's not easy, but um, what what I value a lot in our um, in our leaders when our schools they back themselves, they back the theory that they've got, and they back the values that we stand for, and don't don't alter on that. You know, don't and more step up and educate the community about why we're doing these changes and what we're doing. And for me, that's that's been awesome to see. No, I, I get that. And you see that in, in almost any context where you see something different yeah. or you see success. People are seeing the end product. Um, and most people don't recognize the um, the challenges and, and the failures and all of the things that have happened uh, to get that uh, tool or that vehicle or that concept to, to where it is. 
Um, so I think that is a really good point to make that, you know, it's not, it hasn't happened overnight and it wasn't easy and you're all not like supermen and superwomen doing these amazing teaching things. It was, was, it was built, there was goals and targets and, and so uh, I, I think that's really cool. Waikato has a, has a really strong cluster, right? Um, what sort of things are you guys doing to grow and develop PE teacher capacity there? Yeah, we're trying really hard. Um, we, we're, we're one of the biggest areas, um, but because in terms of, like, I guess, land space, it's really hard to connect everyone together. You know, you've got your schools in um, Hamilton, but then we go as far as King Country wide. Um, to, so what we've been trying to work on is, is how we can connect our massive cluster in terms of distance and and I must admit in 2018 when we kind of kicked on we had a lot of people turn up and um, we had a couple of twilight evenings where people could come um, but then you know not everyone can make certain evenings because of practices and things like that so um, what we're kind of moving towards is Social media has been really good for connecting. Um, just simple things. Can you share this? Can you talk that? You know, sharing simple things has been just a simple way of connecting people together. Um, in term four, we're really wanting to have um, like a big day out. Um, so a whole day um, where people can come from around um, and get some um, professional learning and just connect. Um, a lot of feedback is people just want to know what other people are going on, um, what's happening at different schools. Um, so just even just a sharing space, sit down and be like, this is, you know, this is our favorite unit that we're teaching or this is, you know, successes and failures and those sort of sharing um, ideas we've had. So, yeah, we've we've kicked it off, then COVID hit and now we're trying to um, kind of reconnect term four. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's hard in terms of the area, but we really are passionate about connecting the schools up. I've got a I've got a good question for you on that. And you mentioned that you know everybody loves to um, sit down and and chat and see what everybody else is doing. Considering your school and the things that you're doing, do you find it hard to kind of um, stand back and let other people come forward and share the cool things they're doing? Because what you're doing is is obviously very very. Um, high-level, innovative, um, different to what other schools are doing, but we can't forget about some of those other schools. Do you find that a challenge in those situations? I think I think there's a, yeah, I think there's a little bit of a stigma like, oh, that's the innovative school. We want to just come and learn from you sometimes, but like, you know, I think um, that's not like, obviously not the case and we really want to um, connect with schools because everyone's doing something awesome in their school and you can it might just spark a like oh man I've never thought to do something like that you know and apply it in that way so from, from my perspective I always see there's value in that corridor and that collaboration even if it's just sparking a different idea that might send you off in a different a different way but it starts from something so I think there's always space to learn from each other. And I and that's why I love that's why I love Twitter because um, you might be watching someone and someone's sharing something that's not even in our curriculum era, but it's it sends an idea off. And I'm always pushing people to join Twitter because that's where all the cool ideas come from most of the time. Yeah, yeah, and you know, you guys obviously want to learn stuff as well. It's not like you, you get to a point in education that you know it all and and you don't need to know anything. We're always trying to learn. We're always being reflective in in our practice. So um, yeah, you want to be able to hear and hear some of those other voices too. Con yeah, yeah. Congratulations on your recent election to the Pens Board. What what was the appeal there of oh, of jumping into to governance? Why did you want to do that? Um, just really to um, have a voice in the Waikato on, on the panel, have a seat at the table. I don't think we've had someone from the Waikato in there for a few years. Um, so it's just kind of keen to connect our area in, into the, the national board in some way. And happened to be me that got on <laughs> Drew the short show. No, um, but yeah, that, that's kind of what motivated me and, and learning as well. Like you learn so much um, from putting yourself in that in that. Experience. It's pretty nervous. Like you're putting yourself out there. It's a, it's a voting system. But yeah, I, 
because I've been on the board two years now, and as as you're probably aware, and but we so we had to, um, you know, we had to get up at Penn's conference and talk, and man, it was because you're in front of your peers. It's and especially something like that where, you, in a, in a sense, they're judging you through that nomination process. So that that's really hard. But um, so the online approach this year was a little bit different, but still, you know, big ups to you for for putting yourself out there. How do you think you can? Where do you think you'll make an immediate impact? in that role or, you know, are you just kind of going to find out and learn a little bit and, and see where you fit or what are your thoughts there? Um, I always say, oh, you know, go in and watch, but I, I can't really help myself. I'm sure I'll jump into something and sink my teeth into something um, as we after our first meeting. So I'm open to anything. Um, yeah. So I don't really know what direction it's going to go, but open to learning in that space uh, it's going to be i think it's going to be good and i'm looking forward to you know we we catch up um you know in a, in a week's time and it's going to be good to sit down with you and have a chat about some of um your strengths and the things that you're doing and that you're passionate about and and where you see the future of pens or the direction of pens heading um and, and getting that input there and i think you know from what i know about you um You'll, you'll have a massive impact. So it's really exciting to have you on the board with us. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Before we get to the last question, is there anything I might have missed that you want to mention or is there anything you want to ask me? Um, I mean, what, uh, in terms of the board, what's, your, what's been your favourite part of being on the board, I guess, from your perspective? What been I, think, your yeah, I think the, lear the learning... Just learning in general, like I, I had no idea um, about governance, but I knew I wanted to um, just have impact beyond my small sphere and be able to, um, you know, guide direction for an, for an organisation like that. And and I have some passions around, um, you know, technology and and online learning and different pedagogies around that. Um, so being able to bring some of those strengths um, that I have and maybe see how they suit that organization was was something that kind of was 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 something I wanted to bring in and and see if I could fit that in. Um, but it's been it's been a two years of, of real learning uh, for me in terms of that whole idea of governance and how that works and seeing the processes and, and seeing, um, you know, the different roles and how they play out and the CEO and the president and, and all of those have been really eye opening. And it's, to be honest, the two years have been really challenging, um, in terms of and the workload's been okay, but just that learning and those new relationships and understanding where you fit and everything has has been challenging. But you know, we got a new CEO and and Tanya seems really really uh, like a really good leader, and I'm pretty excited going into my last year um, of my term to to see what we can do, um, starting with with a really um, quite a quite a new there's some new people in there you know Susie's now the the president um you know having you on and, and a few other new people that that will get soon um hopefully so uh, I think it's going to be an, an exciting an exciting year ahead so it's going to be good I just think um uh, the biggest disappointment for me was seeing in the election that we had no Māori representatives come forward and and I, I just wonder how we can grow grow that space that we have more um, Māori representatives putting their names forward and, and getting involved um, or more, more encouraged to, to do so. Mm. Mm. Is, that often, is that often a space of... Well, you know, you're right, and that was sad, and, and that is a, a space where we will probably be working really hard to, you know, find somebody that... Um, would be suitable in that role. But I, I think you look at the people who, the people we've had in the past in those Māori representative roles um, have, have had really strong links to their community and been really um, strong leaders within those communities. And you look at the year we've had, um, been super challenging and still a massive battle for so many people out there. I think that's probably the biggest factor coming into play there. Um, so, you know, we had Harko, who was just amazing, and I, I learned so much from him. 
Um, but obviously he has to, you know, support his community and be there for, for his people. And, and we appreciate that and we value the work that he's done. Um, but, you know, we do need to encourage and promote these roles and these positions because they are important. Um, they do serve a real strong purpose within our community. Um, but, it, you know, we can just keep talking and keep making these um, roles and opportunities more visible. And hopefully we, you know, eventually find the right people to step into them. So one last question for you. Yeah, you've done you've done like a master's in education. Is that is that right? Master's of leadership and education, educational leadership. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Take that off before yeah, well um, first baby arrives. What do you what do you think is is a big challenge educational leadership in New Zealand is facing right now? What, what's something that's kind of out there in our faces that we need to be considering? Oh geez, um, I think the disparities in uh, you probably knew I was going to say <laughs> the disparities <laughs> in education. I think is massive, um, and I know it's everyone talks about it, but I think before when I went to London and I saw the state school system over there compared to the private school system and the way where people live so they get into good schools you had kids um parents going to church just so they could get their kids into a catholic school and da, 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 and then come back to New Zealand and and it's very much I guess not to have kids maybe you start to think about it more but it's happening more and more you know in our school and I just in our country and I just think it's um, just shocking that we can't, you can't just send your kid, well, I guess it maybe it's um, fake news about the school in your area, but um, that you can't just send your kid to your local school, um, that there is that chatter around good schools and what's not a good school and where kids go. And so there's obviously that shift of um, the inequalities of education and, and yeah, it becomes like a marketing, doesn't it? Um, and so, and and I guess what's hard hard for me when you talk about valuing learning, teaching, and learning, and then there's schools that you know you hear parents talking about what's the best school to send my kid for basketball, or rugby, or da da da, and I always challenge them and go, what's the best school for your kids learning? <laughs> That's what they're there for. Um, but yeah, so I think I think educational leadership is is. Um, minimizing the gaps between school whether I don't know if that's leaders can do that but some way of making it that kids can just go to their local school and get quality education it's just not not a fire in your kitchen is it um no <laughs> the smoke alarm upstairs is going off but it randomly goes off so okay kind of used okay. to it probably <laughs> Hey, that was that was a good good answer, I and mean, I really like what you're saying there. And there are big issues there um, that we need to consider, and we need to you know come together as a community to try to solve some of those issues, however best we can. But you know, it's not something that's going to happen overnight. Um, but as long as people are being you know made aware and are being challenged on some of this stuff, I think we can probably make some inroads in the next five to ten years. I hope, but you know, that's that's there's challenges there. Hey, I just want to thank you for uh, taking the time to sit down and chat because, you know, I want you to be able to go and check on that fire shortly, make sure the house isn't big <laughs> But, you know, you're, you've got some, you're doing some really good things. You're in a school that is um, really challenging the way we approach learning and you obviously have a really instrumental um, role to play there and, and you're doing fascinating things. And I, I've really enjoyed this talk. I've, I've learned a lot and I've got a whole lot of notes here for me to take away and try to unpack later on um, to support some of the stuff <laughs> I'm doing. So I really appreciate that. And I'm hopefully I can touch base with you again and talk about some of the stuff because it, it really is fascinating. So um, I, I hope the year finishes off well for you. Hope you you know, have a uh, next week is, is the last week of the holidays. You get a, a bit of a break, and as we head into term four, um, your students come back really refreshed and um, ready to do some awesome work as we close out 2020. So, um, thank you. Thanks, Carl. Thanks for the time, and um, I can always flick you some readings if you're if you're unsure about <laughs> some things we talked about as well. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks, Amy. Cheers. See you later.